You're listening to a Southern Star Media Production. Hello and welcome to the Southern Star's fourth coronavirus podcast. I'm the news editor, Siobhan Cronin. And I'm Kieran Amani, a news reporter. And each week we will be talking to people at the centre of the crisis in West Cork and beyond. We will also be taking a look at that week's Southern Star and how we are covering the pandemic across the region. In this week's podcast, we talk to West Cork native Tyg Daly of Nursing Homes Ireland, a man who is rarely out of the news these days as he navigates the most difficult time in his organisation's history. But first, let's take a look at this week's newspaper. So, Kieran, you have a particularly distressing story on the front page this week about Clonakilty. So tell us a bit about that. Yes, um, very sad news uh, this week uh, when the... Um... Uh, they confirmed that there had been um, COVID-19 deaths at the hospital and obviously the staff are working very hard to um, make sure that the rest of the, the staff and residents are being cared for and they have admit, ad, admitted that there is a COVID-19 infection but obviously working very hard to, and there has been an outbreak control team being assigned there as well. And some new staff, I think, were de- redeployed there. Yes, because yeah, some of the staff, the staff had also tested positive, so they got new staff in as well. Okay. And there's also a story there about uh, the, the direct provision centre in McCroom. I don't think it is an official permanent centre. No, but yeah. A bit of a development there. What's that? Yeah, I think the uh, company that run the temporary accommodation centre, it's been one since last August, they have a planning notice up now to, to redevelop the function rooms and the kitchens into bedrooms. So there's sort of local speculation as to what's behind it. But uh, we were unable to, to to get an answer from Peppered Investment before we went to print yesterday on that story. But uh, okay. there'll probably be more to follow on that. Right. And I see there's a story there also from Emma Conley on our front page this week about the eerie silence, as they describe it, on the phone lines for Women Against um, Violence, the West Cork project, because they would usually have quite a lot of phone calls um, per week and they're getting very, very few. So they're just worried, really, that women can't get to the phones and can't make that call. So they're just saying, look, we're still here. So just moving then to inside the paper this week, and we were just commenting there that page two is a bit like The Hollywood Reporter this week. It is. It is indeed. Yeah, it's all about, I suppose, television, film. Um, at the the main one of the main stories there is uh, in the Shannon local Nicola Brown. She's appearing on Netflix's latest sort of reality dating show called Too Hot to Handle. And I spoke to her there during the week, and the series has dropped on Netflix, so you can watch it there if you want and see how she gets on. But she said it's been a great experience. And then also there's a Skull actress, Iola Smart. She's appearing on BBC's uh, Killing Eve, which I think started again this week. Right. So that's not a local connection. And then, of course, uh, Hollywood star Brian Dinney, who died last week, he has a connection to our groom in Beira, who used to have a holiday home there. So three lovely stories mm. and sort of, you know, non-COVID related as well. Exactly, so yeah. Nice, a little bit nice lighter, something yeah. lighter, apart from the death of Brian Dennehy. But I think the story I mean, there is exactly. how the locals, uh, yeah. the locals were very, very fond of him and they were very sad to see him go when he did yeah. um, move out. Right. And um, so then just moving on, we also have a, a sad Kind of sad story, I suppose, really, from the point of view of the farmer, a daffodil farmer. You did this story now a few weeks ago 
about him not being able to sell his blooms and then offering them to people if they wanted to come in and pick them. But there's been a development this week again, Karen. Yeah, I, I, Brian Perrett, he runs, he owns West Cork Daffodils there, just outside say Bandon and Little Silver. Uh, like he had allows people to come into the fields to pick the daffodils because he has obviously acres of daffodils that haven't been sold due to the COVID crisis. Uh, however, he noticed recently that people were picking up the bulbs, taking the bulbs out of the field. So now he's after that to clamp down is and is asking people not to not to take the bulbs. Yeah. Of course, maybe some people don't realize, you know, when you pull if you pull the exactly. bulb, yeah, bloom, the the bulb will come with it if you're yeah. very very aggressive. And of course, the bulbs are needed for next exactly. year's crop. And he had he had allowed people to uh, take make. daffodils, but also make a donation to the Irish Cancer Society for Daffodil Day in Lou. And that was a nice touch as well. But it's just a pity yeah. that it's. He's been affected yeah. by it. He's had to stop it now, I think. And yeah. uh, he's reminding people if they ha- if they did get daffodils to please make the donation. Yeah. yeah. And also there's kind of topical again, I suppose, that so many people are working from home and a councillor in Bandon has made a bit of a statement about what she's finding with people coming to her about broadband issues. Yes, um, councillor Gillian Cockland from Bandon, she raised it there at the county uh, local authority meeting last week just about she said she's received like hundreds of co- complaints from constituents who are working at home and and she's saying that you know the basic infrastructure isn't there and you know if you've got she said you've got the students working plus the parents working and uh, it's not it's not making any sense to be honest and she's just calling for better infrastructure and she said that this whole remote working could be a new revolution as well for West Cork Mm, so if we get it right, and we if get we the, get it right, yeah, we get the broadband speeds that we need, right? And uh, there was a, a little piece there on page three about Mihal Martin's holiday home. What was the yes. controversy there? Yeah, there had been, I suppose, reports saying that um, the Fianna Fáil leader had been down in his holiday home in Court Mac uh, after the lockdown was put in place. But a statement there from his press office that said that he was there before the lockdown. So that he hadn't been breaking any rules and yeah. that he went to Dublin and will be coming back down to the holiday home. So that's his his yeah. point of residence now exactly, for the yeah. purpose of the lockdown, because I think his two sons are there as well in the house in Court Mac. Yeah. Right. Well, thanks, Kieran. And don't forget thanks. if you thank you. And don't forget, if you can't get to the shops this week, you can organise a postal subscription and you will find the contact details on our website, www.southernstar.ie. You can also find details of how to easily and pretty effortlessly set up a digital subscription under our e-paper tab at the top of the screen. This week's podcast interview is with Tyg Daly of Nursing Homes Ireland. Tyg is originally from Drimmer League and he has held some very high profile jobs in his career. He is a past president of the Union of Students of Ireland and he has also held roles with the ISPCC. In 2005, he joined the Irish Nursing Homes Organisation, which became Nursing Homes Ireland in 2008, where he is now Chief Executive. Welcome to the Southern Star podcast, uh, Tyg. I'm guessing you're having a few very busy weeks now at the moment. So tell me, what does your average day look like? Yeah, look, it's fairly hectic at the moment. Obviously, as a membership organisation, it's probably busy all the time, but we have 400 members across the country providing care in a home from home to about 25,000 older people. But at the moment, yeah, it's it's probably se- it is seven days of the week at the minute, unfortunately, um, 12, 12, 15 hours a day. So um, I suppose the average day, there's probably three components to it. Uh, members, obviously, is a big part of it. 
the other bit is, I suppose, ministers and the, the political establishment. And the media then is the other big part of it at the moment. So they're the... The three prongs of your, your very busy day. Yes. How do you think we're handling it down here in West Cork now? You're local. Have you been able to yeah. keep tabs on what's happening down here? Yeah, I would say very good. I mean, it's interesting when I look at the national figures, for example, from the HPSC around the numbers of clusters, for example, in particular in nursing homes. There's, there's, at this point in time, there's three clusters in, in the entirety of Cork uh, or the south. So that's quite small, thankfully. Um, so I think, yes, we're handling it well. And I, that's a testament to in the nursing home sector, obviously, the staff and the owners and managers. But I suppose the community at large, listening to the advices of, of the NEFIT in terms of social distancing and all those good measures. And you said the south there, does that include Kerry? It does, yeah, yeah. it does. It's Cork and Kerry, so does, like, at this Lovely. stage, you know, it's very, very small numbers, thankfully, and I suppose the, the challenge for us uh, is to keep it that way. Yeah, so obviously that's a reflection, too, of how the nursing homes themselves are handling it. Yeah, look, I, I mean, the nursing home sector is, bar none, the highly, most highly regulated sector in, in the entire health service, and on an annual basis would be dealing with winter vomiting and flu outbreak, so it would be well used of, of, of these sorts of issues, but obviously not on the scale we're dealing with, given that it's a, a global pandemic. So, um, you know, infection control would be a huge part of any nursing home. So uh, right. I think the, the, prepara the preparation that we took, uh, you'll know that the I as an organization, many of our members had visitor restrictions from very early on. So all those preparations, thankfully, in, in Cork anyway, are, are paying dividends. Right. And. You didn't get the feeling then that the more outlying areas, like you're talking about West Cork, you're talking about maybe even West Kerry, Donegal, mm. did they fall a little bit behind on the PPE supplies or were they pretty well covered anyway, despite being quite a distance from the centre of things? Yeah, I mean, PPE is, is, is very challenging. And, you know, the HSE, in fairness, them are doing a very good job in difficult times trying to source it on the one hand and then obviously the logistics of getting it out. So I'm not aware of any issues in terms of outlying areas, as you've outlined, I think the challenge was pretty much across the country initially. And what we're seeing now is, I suppose, a lack of consistency. Uh, you know, to be fair to the HSE and indeed government generally, where it's available, um, it's available very good and in terms of both quality and quantity. But equally, there are significant challenges in some parts of the country where the, the, the time timeliness of it and then the, the quantities has been uh, very, very challenging, to say the least. But I think we're over the worst of that now, I hope. Um, but again, uh, we can't be complacent, obviously. Right. So you, you're talking about kind of being over the worst of it. Are you beginning to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel? I think someone said we're on day 40 now. Yeah. It feels like day 400 at this stage, I can assure you. <laughs> For you, I'm sure. Um, yeah, but I'm into over the worst of it. But in terms of PPE, definitely we're over the worst of it. Um, I'm not so sure. I mean, I'm not an expert in, in, in public health. Um, but from speaking to public health colleagues, I would think that the health service generally, and that includes, includes the hospitals and indeed nursing homes, have a journey to go yet, I would suggest. I think in the community, obviously, the um, the flattening of the curve, as it's called, has been very successful. And I think those signs are very encouraging. Um, but in, in, in healthcare generally, regrettably, I think this will be with us for quite some time, given the, I suppose, the deadly nature of the virus uh, and given the, I suppose, complexity of care of residents, in particular in nursing homes. Right. Uh, now, there have been some calls um, by some people in the medical profession for the victims of the virus who may be in their last hours that they that they should be allowed contact maybe with one other person, you know, in their close circle. Like, how do you feel about that? Oh, absolutely. I would concur. I mean, again, going back to the, the announcement on the 6th of March, uh, I did a piece on Radio 1 that day and I made it very clear that that wasn't a, a, a ban at the time. It was a restriction. And what we said at the time was three things. One was that no children. 
Secondly, no groups. And thirdly, absolutely, for end-of-life care, it is vital that um, family members, and well, a family member is, is permitted uh, access. Nobody should die alone, and indeed in the nursing home sector they don't, because I would suggest that the staff in the nursing home are family. Okay, not immediate family, obviously, and, and not blood family, but they are family in that regard. So absolutely, we've been working with the Hospice Foundation and others to ensure that um, nobody, uh, as I say, can, would, would in all consciousness die alone. Again, the nursing home sector has a very experienced in terms of end-of-life care and very professional in terms of end-of-life care and palliative care. You know, 7,000 people die annually in nursing homes. Um, obviously, at this point in time, the pandemic is creating, uh, you know, significant challenges in that regard. But, um, no, I would I would absolutely agree. And our members are facilitating that. But obviously, it has to be done, again, with, with adequate PPE or appropriate PPE, rather, and all those other elements. And are these uh, policy decisions by yourselves? I mean, are they just recommendations? Is it really down to the individual nursing home to to make those regulations themselves? And maybe they they may choose to opt out, opt out. Yeah, I suppose there's two things. One is obviously the national guidelines from from NEFIT and indeed from national public health generally, and from the HSE, our national national guidelines. And again, I mentioned earlier on that the sector is highly regulated. Uh, so there are certain elements that are absolutely regulated in terms of some of the I suppose, softer side, if you like, in terms of your question there. Yeah, that is down to each individual home. But again, you know, I mean, our members and the staff in the nursing homes, they, they know the resident who may have been with them for a year or two. They know the family intimately as well. Um, so, you know, I think there's always a pragmatic decision taken in that regard in terms of ensuring that, um, you know, people have a peaceful uh, and uh, a respectful debt. Right. Now, you were an active student campaigner in your day, I think, and um, we, and you've done an awful lot of lobbying since. Is there anything in, in your background or your upbringing in Drummer League that suggested you were you were going to be a campaigner, a lobbyist, a bit of a Cork rebel? A bit of a rebel, all right, absolutely, and hopefully I'll never, I'll never lose that. Um, not particularly, no. I mean, family at home weren't involved politically at all. Um, so I'm not sure where it came from, really. I, I remember going to college in, in the RTC, as it was then, the CIT now, and running for student president. So that was that was the, my entry to it, really. And I suppose I haven't looked back for, for good or ill. Right. And um, I think you subsequently then you became head of the Students U- Union of Ireland. And yeah. then you went on to work with the ISPCC. Yeah. And um, would you say that, that your work with Nursing Homes Ireland has been the most enriching? Oh, yes, by absolutely, by a long shot. Yeah. I mean, I'm very proud of particularly the USI piece. There's only one USI president every year. So there's about, I think, 50 or 60 of us in the country at this stage. Right. We, had a, we had a gathering with, with President McAleese, or President Higgins, rather, my apologies, President Higgins uh, recently in ours in Oakdron. So I'm very, very proud of that time. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, the ISPCC as well uh, taught me a lot in terms of advocacy, you know, visiting schools, talking to children about childline. So all those elements definitely have shaped, I suppose, my... Um, my career and I suppose my uh, someone said to me the other day is, is it uh, the voice of the voiceless I'm not so sure that might be stretching it a bit but definitely I suppose I'd like to be able to give voice to people who otherwise may, maybe wouldn't have the ability to uh, or the opportunity more so than the ability to 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 um, articulate the challenges in, in in and it's two ends of the spectrum as well I mean from from, from children right now to the to the uh, the older population. Absolutely. And there's nothing in your your family history or at school, anyone influenced you or anything that kind of led you on that path? I suppose 
obviously at home we have a, um, we're a, a very close family um you know i suppose the culture and the ethos at home would be very much about caring for people absolutely um and did you come from uh, a big family tag no um small family two, two sisters um Sheila is in Australia nursing and Anne has just recently retired and mother is still in, in Main Street Drummer League there, 89. So um, it's a very small family. My father died when I was very young. I was only six. And um, yeah, so I suppose everybody that I met along my life has shaped me. I mean, I had a very positive experience in in um, St. Falkland's de La Salle as it was then. Um, I even got some messages there recently from some of the teachers. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd see that as shaping me. Obviously, my, my family and friends, all of those, uh, have influenced me along the way. And uh, I've picked up little bits and pieces. And every day you go, you're learning something new. So um, I, I would see that as an important part of my my, uh, my career and my life generally is to nobody has a monopoly on wisdom. That's true. And I, I wouldn't imagine you're getting much downtime now. You're talking about 15 hour days and that. But mm. if you did or you do, what is your particular guilty pleasure is it netflix is it reading is it walking is it yeah i do yeah i've taken up a bit of walking recently um for both physical and mental health so i find that quite good um i don't really read a whole lot i suppose i read um i, I don't read fiction uh, if i'm reading it's autobiographies or sports i'm a big sports fan obviously nothing happening at the moment in sports um lifelong member of of uh GA club um and still supporting them um what else? I suppose, yeah, family is the big thing, really. I have two daughters and uh, obviously my wife, Mara, so uh, Mirren and Brona, and um, I spent a lot of time with them. And you're living in Cork still? Yeah, I live in Ballancolic and um, regrettably in Dublin a couple of days every week. Uh, not so at the moment, so that's hard on, on my wife as well, being away from home quite a bit, uh, and, and the girls, obviously, so they're very supportive uh, of me and I'm appreciative of that. And in, in the normal course of events, you know, pre covid you mm. spend a lot of time in Dublin still, do you? Or is it just as a result of this? That, that yeah, you... no. Generally, I'd be in Dublin about three days a week normally. That would be kind of the, the normal week, if there's such a thing as a normal week in, in, in normal time. So, but yeah, and I spend a day on the road and maybe a day in Corkton as well, working from home. So, yeah, it's um, that can be quite quite challenging, you know, being being away from home, obviously, quite a bit. And, and hard do, on... When we do go back to holidays, which seems like a bit of a fantasy at the moment, you yes. can have a holiday. Uh, what's the what's the place you're most like looking forward to getting back to now? Oh, I don't know. I'm I was in New Zealand actually. Would you believe last uh, September um, and October, and I had a fabulous time there. I suppose uh, yeah. Again, family holidays. We've had some great family holidays in Canaries and Spain and France. So definitely, uh, when all this is over, the four of us will be packing the bags and heading off for some some downtime. If I can leave the phone behind for for a couple of days, hopefully. Absolutely. And and I know uh, days can be quite dark at the moment for a lot of us and you especially are really at the at the um, in the centre of all this time. Mm. So when things do get dark and and things do seem uh, the light at the end of the tunnel seems a bit further away, mm. what, what gets you through and gets you out of bed in the mornings to start a new day? Um, I suppose I'm an optimist by nature. You'd want to be an optimist to work in the health service, um, unfortunately. So I'm an optimist by nature. I'm a positive person by nature. So I suppose I yeah, and I suppose, look, it's about leaving, leaving a mark too, I suppose, at the end of the day. In all my career, thankfully, I've, I've left a mark for good or bad. Some might say maybe not all the marks I left were all the good ones, but I'd like to think when history is written, they'll say, you know, he did his best and uh, he worked hard, pretty much. Um, my daughter, Marina, finishes off my sentence. I said that the harder I work, the luckier I get. So, um, But yeah, I suppose, optimistic, really, and hoping that all our efforts collectively, and that's not just nursing homes, I think as a society, 
we have a duty of care to our fellow citizens and hopefully that all of that will lead to brighter days ahead, please God. Great. Well, listen, Tyg, thank you so much for making time for us and stay safe. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to the Southern Stars Coronavirus Podcast. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe to our podcast, which is available now on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. But first, here is this week's musical treat. So, Kieran, can you tell us a little bit about the background to this? Yeah, uh, this week we're, we're going to be featuring um, a video by the COVID Collective. They're basically made up of uh, James Downing and Keith Hendricks, who are members of a band and band called The Shrugs. So they've just got together with a group of friends um, and decided to have music in isolation. And they posted their first video last week, uh, Stand By Me. And it's really good, really good quality and great singing. And they enlisted the help of Shelley Byrne and Gary Megan on this video. And they plan to release more in the coming weeks and get different musicians and even some from older generation to join up and just you know, make music, things they can gig actually at the moment anyway. So very good. Okay, so here we go with the COVID Collective and Stand By Me.
Thanks for listening to another Southern Star Media podcast production. Stay connected to West Cork by subscribing to our e-paper and support local, quality and trusted journalism. Visit www.subscribe.southernstar.ie